welcome to Mostly Books Meets. I'm Sarah. I'm Imogen. And I'm Lindsay. And together we are the team at Mostly Books, an award-winning independent bookshop. In this podcast series, we'll be speaking to authors, journalists, poets, and a range of professionals from the world of publishing. We'll be asking about the books that are special to them, from childhood favourites to the book that changed their life. And we hope you'll join us for the journey. Hi, I'm Sarah. And this week in our first ever episode of Mostly Books Meets, I'm talking to author, poet and performer A.F. Harold. After getting involved with the poetry scene in the late 1990s, A.F. Harold published several poetry collections in the 2000s before moving into children's poetry. His first children's book was published in 2008, and he's since gone on to write a further 14 books for kids, ranging from hilarious poetry collections to entertaining fiction, and even touching on the subject of death in a way that children can relate to. An amazing live performer, he has wowed audiences at schools up and down the country for years. Mostly Books has been lucky enough to work with him on a couple of occasions, and the response from the kids has been brilliant. Ev Harold, or Ashley, welcome to our podcast. Hello. It's it's a pleasure to be on the podcast, because Mostly Books is, is, is a great bookshop. So to start things off today, I'd just like to go back to your childhood. You grew up in Horsham in West Sussex, raised yes. by your father, who was a milkman. Yeah. And your mother, who was a social worker, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, that's what she was. She did all sorts of, uh, you know, all all the jobs that you do while your kids are growing up. She trained as a hairdresser in the sixties originally, and was a dinner lady, and worked on the tills in the supermarket, and you know, all all of those sort of, you know, uh, getting by jobs, and eventually settled into social work, working with. Um, adults with learning difficulties and then children with learning difficulties in a respite care home in Crawley, just up the road from Horsham. So doing good things, really good things. Yeah, my dad ended up as a postman. Uh, he was a milkman when I was little and a postman later on. So uh, so my first, my first job was on a, a Saturday morning, getting up at six and going, going and meeting my dad halfway through his milk round. And helping deliver milk, brilliant. You know, to With the glass earn my bottle. pocket, yeah, glass bottles. Uh, back it, back in the day, I mean, you know, kids don't know what a milkman is these days, do they? Um, well, do you know they've actually started to do it again around where okay. I live, and I'm quite excited for it. it takes took yeah. me took me way back. I mean, the thing is, I mean, it's such a, um, it, it, in many ways, it's such a sort of forward-looking job because it was recycling. Uh, long before recycling became, you know, the thing that we're supposed to do. What was life like as a child? Life as a child. Well, it was the sort of end of the 70s into the, well, all through the 80s. Then I was thinking about this. Can can I talk about this book? Because you asked asked me before to have a think about the first book I could remember sort of reading. Yeah, and relating absolutely. to and and this sort of ties in because I, I i thought hard about this and the thing i chose was a raymond briggs book uh called gentleman jim which was a, a sort of central text in my childhood 
there because Gentleman Jim was published in 1980. So I'd have been five when this came out. And I had probably around that point fairly soon. I had paperback, so it would probably be 81. So it was probably six when I had it. And it was the only Raymond Briggs book that I owned at home. And this is one of the sort of interesting things about being a child is you have the books that you have and you don't necessarily know sort of the rest of the oeuvre of these writers or the other things that exist. You have the thing in front of you and you read it a hundred times and you spend such a long time on that page and that page that that book is important. When I went to my aunt and uncle's house up in London, they had the Father Christmas books and they had Fungus the Bogeyman. So I was aware of those and I'd read them once, but Gentleman Jim was what I came back to. And it's such a strange book. Do you know it at all, Sarah? Yeah, I read it when I was younger um, Mm. and I hadn't seen it for quite a long time. And when you actually said this is your book, it it took me right back. Yeah, because it's, it's, I I guess it's the first of Briggs's books that stop being obviously children's books. The book immediately before this was The Snowman. The book that comes after this is When the Wind Blows, you know, and we've suddenly gone somewhere really different with that. And Gentleman Jim is about a working class bloke, uh, Jim, who is a public toilet attendant. And Jim reads books from the library about cowboys and about war stories. And he dreams of having these sorts of lives. And he reads the advert, the um, job adverts in the newspaper. And all these jobs need levels. And, and we're recording this just after, just after the A-level debacle mm. of 2020 and just before the, um, well, they seem to have sidestepped the GCSE debacle that would be coming. But Jim and his wife say, you know, all these jobs, even being an art student, you need levels to go and do. What is it? And it's educate. I think it's something they give you at school these days. He says to his wife, "No, all I got was a Bible and a thick ear." And through a series of misadventures and encounters with authority, this is what the book is really. So, what's central to it is these encounters with these authority figures. He decides to become a highwayman reads a book called Gentleman Jim about highwaymen and decides, we'll give this a go. And he gets a donkey from a donkey sanctuary, this scrappy old donkey, and he leaves it tied up to the lamppost in the street. And the um, traffic warden comes along. And these all these authority figures are these awful caricatures. They're really sort of blank-faced, terrifying characters and he takes the donkey into the back garden and a chap from the RSPCA turns up. It's oh, a jolly good time here. You've got a donkey in the back, not not being fed properly, no shelter. And he builds a, you know, a, a stable in the back garden. And then the planning man comes along, goes, no, unregistered planning, tear it down. And Jim's sideswiped at each step by these rules that you don't know about. And eventually he he goes out and he holds up a car on the motorway and there's a businessman inside and he's got a a gun that fires those sucker-ended arrows and the gun goes off and the police turn up and they arrest Jim. And it's this sort of misunderstandings of this little man in this world he doesn't understand. And the happy ending to the story 
Jim ends up in prison. He's sent to he's sent to jail here, and his wife comes to visit him in jail. And the last page is two weeks later, and his wife comes to visit, and she says, oh, "What's it like, dear?" And he says, "Oh, it's not bad. It makes a change." And Jim says, "I might study for the levels while I'm in here." Yeah, I found out I was right. They're only education. Do they work you hard, love? Oh no, it's cushy. They've put me on the toilets. Say I'm an expert. He ends up saying, "It's taught me a lesson, Hilda. I realise now I got ideas above my station." Uh, and then she leaves, and the last picture is just him looking through this grill window, saying goodbye, love. And he Aww. got ideas above his station. But now he's got this opportunity to do some education. And this this book, as a child, reading this, knowing... No, I can see my dad in the same way Briggs sees Ethel and Ernest in these characters. Sort of the lesson of my childhood, this book. So that, it made you think that you trying it to... It made me recognise that... I don't understand the world and other people know what they're doing. Now, and this was driven home in school. I didn't know the rules to the games that kids played, you know, and I was always on the outside there looking in, not really jealous, just recognizing that it's not really my world, is it? No, it's their world and I'll make my own corner over here. So did I'll, you feel like a bit of an outsider as a child then? Oh yes, I, I mean, I, I sort of assume that all that everybody does, but that might not be, you know, that might not be the case. Um, it might be that other people do actually know what they're doing, but I, I fear we all, we all have the imposter syndrome. Did you find solace in books then? Yeah, no, I, I lived, I lived in, in books. Um, one of the things about my dad, he always, as as long as I knew him, um as a working man, he always had two jobs. So he was a milkman in the morning and he had a cleaning job in the evening. And I, was, and I often think about this. He used to, I guess it was probably once a week, would take me with him on this evening cleaning job. He used to clean the dentist surgery uh, in town. And he'd, as he went in, he'd drop me off in the library, Horsham Library, Mm -hmm. uh, do his couple of hours cleaning and then pick me up on the way back, I guess, to get me out from under my mother's feet you know, yeah. once a week. Um, and so I grew up having these regular couple of hours just abandoned in the library in the evening. And I read all the books in the, the kids section books and, you know, all, all of those, just working through them, just reading uh, them. And I learned much more there, you know, autodidacting like that than I, you know, learned formally, I'm sure. Yeah. And so, and so I took lots of books home and I read lots of books. Hundreds of things I have no memory of. So I know I've read lots of things, but don't ask me what they were or what impression and then yeah, every now and again, left. somebody says something. I'm exactly the same. Yeah. Says it kind of flashes into your mind. Oh, I know something about this. Or I've read something about it at some point. But yes. Yeah. And I can't quite work out exactly how or why. <laughs> it's it's what, what you say. You know, someone says something and there's, there's a book I read once. Oh, what was it? Where did I read it? 
and it's it's a prompt but then it's a struggle and a scrabble to work your way back to where it was yeah um and he, I, I presume you're still a voracious reader is that correct i i keep on reading yeah yeah no i i, I read a lot of children's books these days um you know that's that's my sort of main reading is keeping keeping up with what's going on in the uh in the world in which i find myself working yeah we it, it's funny we talk about this a lot with our customers in the shop about why we think adults should read a lot more children's books um because i think these days in particular the quality of children's literature yeah um, is so high um and although they're clearly written for children there's a lot of things in the books that adults should be aware of yeah yeah and i i think there's a difference between a grown up reading um wimpy kid <laughs> and a grown up reading his dark materials yeah you know and there are there are books that are for everybody that will be accessible and there are books that are really for kids you know aimed at kids for kids that grown ups don't need to worry about but the i i just read the boy at the back of the class on jalo ralphs oh. Way at the back of the class, you know, it's a few years old. I've only just—it's only just reached the top of my pile. Uh, but what a wonderful book! Brilliant book. I mean, um, she's brought a new book out as well. And but we we sell a lot in that of that particular book in the shop because I do think that um, for those that haven't read it, it's about um, a young boy that comes in um, to the class and doesn't speak the local language because he's been—he's he, basically come to the UK without his parents. Um, and is just basically a bit lost. Um, and so it's about children understanding the concept of uh, immigrants coming into the country. And it's, but it's written purely from a children's standpoint, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, what I liked about it is, is the story for a start, you know, the, the, the positivity of the story, the narrator, uh, the narrator's compassion and positivity towards this, this refugee kid who's arrived there but also it's really well written amazing reading it it turns the pages it keeps going nothing gets in the way it reminded me a little of um some morris gleitzman books which are equally well written and 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 talk about equally interesting Topics. It made me think a little bit of my week with the Queen. Oh yes, uh, which is you know, uh, which is a Morris Gleitzman book from the late eighties um, that has as one of its topics the AIDS uh, outbreaks that were going on at the time, um, and but does it in such a clever, open, heartfelt, easy to read way it reminded reminded me of this this book and vice versa we do get quite a few parents into the shop saying to us oh you know little little johnny wants a new book and and, um but we we don't want him to read about this we don't want him to read about that because it will you know he's quite sensitive and we always try and kind of push those boundaries a little bit because i think um people are often surprised at how much children can absorb your book um the the imaginary yeah yeah Um, was one is one that we we recommend a lot um in terms of uh you know 
bringing kind of concepts to 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 kids that maybe they wouldn't be looking at themselves and i just mm. think i just i just think a lot of adults don't necessarily um appreciate what kids can what kids can take on board yeah i think there's two two things there to to think about one is that yes kids are better than you imagine in in a great many ways <laughs> um but also books are better than you think books have such space within them that you can explore as as a reader these subjects that appear in books or topics that appear in books or themes or events that happen in books have space around them have thought around them have thinking around them have characters discussing things around them have a narrator talking around them that they're explored and expanded in a way that a television program or a film doesn't they throw events at you and you have to passively accept them. a book discusses it with you a book gives you the time to put it down walk away come back tomorrow Raises it from different angles as well yeah a book has the space to discuss uh, things and I think if you know, if you're thinking about uh, or if a book has death in it or if a book you know, thinking of slightly older readers has sex in it or you know, relationship things it's far better to read about those things than to have it thrust upon you in a television program or in a film where there isn't any discussion uh there so i like books and what you can do with books is what i'm saying yeah. i'm afraid it's, <laughs> well, i could have just said that couldn't i it's it's been obviously i mentioned earlier on and you mentioned where when we're recording this and so we're recording this uh whilst we're all dealing with this coronavirus mm. pandemic um we've been through a really severe lockdown we're kind of coming out of it but we're in a point where we don't really know what's going to happen um and we've really found that an awful lot of people have turned to books through this time um, as a means of escapism. Also, I think, because quite a lot of people were at home where they yeah, were. Yeah, I think people have had had a bit more spare time, didn't they? Mm. Um, have, you, have you find yourself found yourself reading more recently? And- um, no, I wouldn't say I have because I have the sort of lifestyle where I'm able to read a lot anyway. During normal times, I spend quite a lot of my time on trains, going up and down the country, visiting schools, hither and yon. Uh, and when I'm not doing that, I'm sitting where I am at the moment in my shed at the end of the garden, thinking about writing something, and that usually involves reading things. So my life, my work, means I'm reading a lot anyway. Um, what are you reading? So it's, not, so it's not particularly changed for me at the moment. I am. Uh, what am I reading? I tell you, I, I'm actually literally reading philip reeve's novel goblins the first of his goblins trilogy i just finished the boy at the back of the class oh and i'm rereading a lot of russell hoban novels so russell hoban novels i've been watching a lot of videos of him talking and he pronounces it like that so i have to respect him uh novels a lot of his grown-up novels um he is such an amazing wonderful writer He's also got a really varied set of books. Yeah, if you look at his novel 
roles. They really range from, yeah. quite, you know, kind of fantasy, sci-fi things to really, you know, historical fiction. There's a whole yeah. bunch of at, genres. At the moment, I'm rereading all his late novels, uh, which are which are much more homogenous. They're sort of London based short strange novels but the 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 ones before that from ridley walker through turtle diary kinds they're all very very different astonishingly different and varied and but all equally strange as one another but then you get to look at his kids books um from a mouse and his child you know the 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 first novel um, or the only children's novel he wrote. There was a, a sort of teenager novel, um, The Trokeville Way, and Soon Child, uh, which Walker Books did with um, Alexis Deacon illustrating. But then in the 80s and 90s, he did a load of short books, what are sort of picture books, but pushed boundaries in strange ways. Quentin Blake illustrating a lot. And they're the most strange books that you just if i took that script to my editor she wouldn't she wouldn't know what to do with it and it's it's odd but amazing and i don't know if any kids will i i don't know if children would like it you know this is the thing i love it it's really interesting when you were talking then about him um something i've noticed about you before you were referring to the illustrators quite a bit and i've noticed on all of your books um that you always really big up your illustrators and they're almost um build on, on as you know alongside you an awful lot of authors don't don't do that um is that a conscious decision well I, I mean i'm i'm in the position that the books that i've published have all been illustrated and that's the publisher's choice um bloomsbury fix you up with an illustrator in the first place uh, but once that's done sarah horn uh, illustrated the Fizzlebert Stump books. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Todd Stanton did the Greta Zargo books, which are more a couple of line illustrations per chapter books. But then something that's thoroughly illustrated, like the Imaginary with Emily Gravitt and our follow-up the afterwards that we did, that it's huge. The, the book would not be the same without Emily's art in there and the song from somewhere else with levi pinfold would not be the same without levi's art there so it's hugely important to mention the stories were written you know and somebody would have illustrated them but they'd be a different book or if they were just published just as the text it would be a different book to what they ended up being um and those people put in so much more work than i do you know, I just write some words. <laughs> you know, I sit at a desk and bang some words out, and then editor and I bang the words around and make them make some sort of sense. And then they get given to an illustrator, get given to Emily or Levi, and they sit down for four or five months, day after day, making sense of this. Uh, and that's an astonishing amount of work. And if if you don't think they deserve being mentioned <laughs> you know, when you talk about the book, um, then you're a fool. But also a couple of years ago, there was a big move. Um, uh, pictures mean business. That's the hashtag on, uh, on the Twitter. 
about trying to get illustrators' names on the front of the books they've illustrated, to get illustrators included in the data that Nielsen uh, collects mm-hmm. and in library borrows of PLR, so we get accurate figures on um, the illustrators there. Because something like we're going on a bear hunt, which is by who's who's we're going on the bear hunt by. Michael Rosen. And see, this is the problem, isn't it? Isn't it? It's oh, Helen Oxenbury. Oh my goodness, when, I knew that. That's embarrassing. Of course you of course you did. Of course you did. It's, it's just a blank spot for a moment. We know Michael does the books. Michael is a brilliant uh you know broadcaster, self-promoter, a man who's out working very recognizably. And thank goodness, um, you know, had the terrible experience with COVID, uh, mm-hmm. no, thankfully. But when you hear the words, we're going on a bear hunt, you see Helen Oxenbury's pictures. Yes, absolutely. In your mind. You, you don't see words on a page. You see Helen Oxenbury's pictures. And historically, when it comes to recording sales, you know, and that book has sold you know, a million copies or whatever it's sold, they're recorded with the author's name. So Michael Rosen has sold a million copies of that book. Helen hasn't been included in those figures. If you look Helen Oxenbury up and look at her sales, she was just an illustrator of that. It looks like she only sold copies of books you know, that she wrote or a much limited number. And so... Perhaps not. This may not be an issue for Helen so much, but newer illustrators coming out, uh, coming into the business, when a publisher you know, gets their portfolio and they look on Nielsen to look at the their sales history, all these hundreds of thousands of books that they've actually sold aren't recorded there, and so the move is to get much better recording of figures to aid everybody to um have the data there's a sort of general move to improve upon that situation the pictures mean business was led by um sarah mcintyre who did wonderful picture books of her own did a series of wonderful books with philip reeve cakes in space and oliver and the seawigs and all of those and sarah if you ever get the opportunity to meet Sarah. It's a larger than life personality. Uh, she often, certainly for events, is very dressed up with big boots and very colourful outfits and huge hats. And I don't want to get on her wrong side. I don't want her to storm across the room and say, Ashley, you've not been talking about your illustrators enough there. And so it's in my interest to talk about my illustrators that I've had the privilege and the pleasure to work with there um, for my own good as much as for theirs. Uh, and I like Sarah very much, so uh, I don't want to upset her. She's brilliant. She is brilliant. Yeah. But you're right about um, Sarah McIntyre. She's absolutely wonderful. I saw her yeah. at the BA conference. Um I think it was last year. She was so great. She was there with Philip. Mm-hmm. And um, the two of them together just bounce off each other brilliantly. They're so, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah, no, great double act and, and lovely books that they do as well. Great fun uh, little things. So let's talk, let's move on to um, the book that 
basically changed your life. I want, I'm, I'm interested in hearing because I think I think everyone has got this book. I think everyone's got a book that at some point they they read it and it's just kind of a pivotal point. Whether the actual book, whether it's just at the point where they read it, um, or whether it then kind of sits. And plays well, I'll, I'll tell you mine because I I chose one that's a, a sort of interest and in okay i'll explain why i chose this book because something like gentleman jim is psychically or psychologically really important something like lord of the rings was psychologically very important and and led me in all sorts of directions there's lots of books that have done that but this book is one that has made a fundamental uh my life would not be what it is now if I hadn't found this book. And I, I've got it here. And this must be my original copy. I, I'm sure it is. And it's, it's a Bertrand Russell book called Why I Am Not a Christian. And I, I'm not going to talk about religion. That's not what's important about it. I picked it up as a teenager. Picked it up because I was curious about uh, atheism and doubting religion and all that sort of jazz and it was the first philosophy book i read first philosophy book i found what this book did was it opened my eyes to this thing called philosophy i went to sixth form college and i think i was the first one in my sort of direct family to do a levels and then i got towards the end of that and you know what what are you going to do now and I thought, well, you know, I don't really want to get a job or anything. You know, I've got no interest in <laughs> got no interest in that. And so so I sort of fell into this idea of going to university. And I was the first, you know, nobody in my family had done that. You know, I was the first one to do that. And they said, you know, what do you want to study? I don't know. Uh my A levels, I was doing maths and Spanish and sociology and studying those three i knew that if i went to university i didn't want to study maths or spanish or sociology you know i knew i knew that much and i said well maybe i could do this philosophy thing what what's philosophy well it's sort of like thinking about thinking isn't it it's like thinking about stuff uh and so we went okay uh and i liked nottingham right I visited Nottingham University on an open day and I liked it. I thought, this is, this is nice. I'd been on an open day to Canterbury, I think it was, and I hadn't liked it. And they'd made me the same offer that Reading had. So I put Reading down as my insurance offer. And then I did my A-levels and I didn't get very good grades. <laughs> I didn't get my, didn't get my first choice. I didn't get my insurance choice. So I was, you know, like a lot of kids have been you know, recently, I was feeling you know, rather out of it. A day after the results, my um, my tutor at sixth form, Mrs. Maynard, phoned me up and said, uh, you're going to Reading. Okay. And she'd phoned them up and talked and got me this place. And so the next day, <laughs> my mum said, shall we get in the car and go have a look at this Reading place? <laughs> and so, so we came and looked at the, the campus here um, after I'd been accepted without knowing what, what was here. 
And you must have quite liked it because you're still in Reading, aren't you? And so I ended up here doing my university and I came back here to start a master's after my degree. And I did about five weeks of that before I dropped out uh, from that. But that meant dropping out halfway through the term meant that I was in Reading and I wasn't in Horsham. Horsham, in case your listeners don't know, is a very nice, with the capital N, very white little market town in in Sussex. You know, it's it's nice. Reading is more, you know, for for all its faults, it's bigger and it's more interesting and it's more multicultural, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's you know all of those things, and it's half an hour from London on the train. And so I dropped out my masters, but I was here, so I got a a room in a shared house. I got a job in Blackwell's bookshop and I met the people I met. I got involved with the poetry scene and with the music scene and the art scene here in Reading, doing all the things I do, living with the people I've lived with. And all of that is because this book told me what philosophy was. And if I hadn't known that, I'd have gone and done English somewhere or gone to Bristol like everybody else did. And so this book practically, literally puts me here in Reading with the people I know, the friends I have, doing the job I do. I don't know what would have happened if I'd gone back living in my mum and dad's spare room, uh, getting a job in. I don't know what I would have done. I think it's incredible, though, because it's just like you say, it's one one thing. It's pure chance that you picked up that book and pure chance that it triggered something in your mind. And, and, yeah. and that, that was the, you know, that was one of those sliding door pivot moments that I can actually put my finger on, you know, and would have gone two ways. Um, and and one of the reasons we're actually here talking today, just to kind of bring it back to that. Is, oh, yes. Um, is because you actually have a brand new book out so yeah if if that hadn't happened you might not have even got you you might not No, exactly who knows if i'd have been doing poetry or doing yeah we don't know uh but we're here in this universe living this life uh with this new book i've got a copy here it looks brilliant Uh, i've seen a copy but i've only seen an electronic copies because it it comes out on (laughs) comes out with 599 other books on September the 3rd 2020 so it's a it's a poetry book um it's called the book of not entirely useful advice uh and the way it came about i'd sent them a big pile of poems and so i looked at the the poems that we had and there were a couple of themes you could pick out and we went with this idea of poems of advice, um, useful poems, practical poems that will teach you safety tips, make you a better person, let you know how to give you hints on how to do this or that. And so this idea of the book of not entirely useful advice came together. And I knew that I wanted it to be illustrated make it much more of a collaboration there. And we looked at, we discussed some people, some names, some uh, very good names, 
Uh, and my publishers suggested Minnie Gray. And so we gave her the big pile of poems and she came up with the most wonderful ideas. And as we hoped, made it into a real collaborative book where the poems and the pictures are equally important. They're in the same way the pictures all through the book contain lots of hidden um, jokes and things. And I'm not really qualified to talk about what Minnie has done. She wrote a really lovely long blog about working on this book, how she went about and the challenges and the um, the process there. I have to admit, poetry isn't isn't my massive genre of choice. I appreciate poetry. Sarah. I know, I'm terrible. Aren't I? But, <laughs> but what I'm saying is I love your poems. Uh, do you know what my favourite one was in your book is? Some Home Truths. Shall I read it? So this this is, dear listeners, this is a poem called Some Home Truths from the book of not entirely useful advice written and read by A.F. Harold. You can't make an omelette without cracking some eggs. You can't have a skiing trip without breaking some legs. You can't have a washing line without pinching some pegs. You can't make a cake without spilling some flour. You can't make a rainbow without raining a shower. You can't spread some honey without knowing some bees who visited a flower or two. You can't have Jack Horner without a pie made of plum. You can't get a good grip on things without opposing your thumb. You can't have a nice sit-down without putting a chair between the floor and your buttocks. Uh, so so there we go. Lots of advice in the single poem. <laughs> so obviously when you normally publish a book, um, when mm. we're not middle of a global pandemic you would be racing around the country talking to children yeah. about um, so this is obviously a bit different what so what's the plan are you going to be doing lots of these uh, the plan is i'm going to do your podcast and and hopefully leave it at that i imagine i'll have some blogs to write some you new know, sort of question q and a's on some blogs and things You've got some things, but it just—it's all obviously just looking a bit different, isn't it? Yeah. And um, so this is happening. The book's going to be out there on yes. Thursday of Super Thursdays. Um, what's what's next for you? Well, at, at the same time that this comes out, the books three and four in the Fizzlebert Stump series are also being released or re-released. Um, so they'll be coming out as well, which is which is nice. And the last two of the series will come out just in the new year. I am on my desk at the moment. I'm just about to do rewrites and jiggle about edits for a new novel for Levi Pinfold, a sort of, a sort of sequel to the song from somewhere else um, that, that I've written uh, and then it will be handed on to Levi and let's hope we can get you back into schools again. Basically. Oh, God, I, I, I hope so. My bank manager hopes so <laughs> as well. But in the meantime, thank you so much. That's my pleasure. Thank you, Sarah, for letting me waffle on at you. And on that note, F. Harold, thank you so much for joining us. In my pleasure. Thank you so much, Sarah. Wish you all the best for publication. And good luck with uh, independent book shopping. Thank you very much. My pleasure. 
A.F. Harold's new book, The Book of Not Entirely Useful Advice, will be available from Mostly Books and all good bookshops from the 3rd of September. Thank you.